20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Draft Day Eve. We are finally almost there. The Green Bay Packers will pick 30th in the NFL draft, and then every subsequent round after that, they have a pick in each round for this time being. That, of course, subject to change, even according to Brian Gutekunst himself, said he would like to, quote, move around. What that means, we don't know yet, Uh, but we are very close to finding out It'll be less speculation and more. By this time next week, we will know who the draft class is for the Packers and all 32 teams that are currently in the NFL. I've got my guys back this week. Uh, I've got Russell Brown. Russ, how are we doing tonight? Uh, I've heard you got some big news coming for Thursday. Or I don't remember which day, but uh, which day you got. I'll let you do it. Yeah, I'm doing good, man. Uh, thanks for bringing me back on. Um, yeah, Thursday is the uh, day of the draft. I'll be uh, giving live draft analysis on Sirius XM Radio Channel 82. Um, so pretty exciting. First time I've ever covered the draft live, so I'm kind of intrigued to see how it goes about. Yeah, let's hope for chaos or you know whatever makes your job easy and interesting at the same time. For those that have Sirius, that is Mad Dog Sports Radio Channel 82. So you'll catch that as the draft begins. And of course, I've got my offensive lineman here. It's a big week for the big boys own. I continue staunchly in my thought that the Packers will draft three offensive linemen, assuming they keep all 10 of their picks, which they may or may not do. They may end up with more. I don't know. But multiple linemen will be selected in this draft, and that is just music to your ears, is it not? Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> as a general rule, yes. But also when you consider just that the Packers have needed uh, better depth along the offensive line for seemingly quite some time. Uh, so I think this is a good class to do it. A lot of guys that a couple that we'll talk about later, but guys that could be um, in, in right in the Packers wheelhouse. Hopefully we can hear their names called in a few days. And tonight we don't have anything like that. We don't have a specific position group. So this makes things interesting. We have what everybody loves. Everybody loves a sleeper. Everybody loves a good sleeper because That's somebody that maybe you can get a little bit later, and those are the cool stories, the guys that go from sixth-round picks to six-time Super Bowl champions the way Tom Brady once did, Uh, although most people probably aren't too thrilled with that point as of right now. But there are other guys like that. Everybody likes to see a late-round gem turn into something like, I'll use a Packers example, Aaron Jones, a fifth-round pick. That would be a good example of a sleeper. So tonight we're going to go through some of the guys' favorites of players that will be taken on day three uh, and maybe a little bit later in the draft, I was joking beforehand. You know, somebody I saw earlier today on my Twitter timeline said that they liked Donovan Peoples-Jones as a sleeper. And I said, okay, well, Donovan Peoples-Jones is a 99th percentile athlete. He went to a big school, and he'll be picked on one of the first two or the early third day of the draft. Uh, that is not a sleeper. That's somebody that everybody everybody knows. It should be one of those at least a good percentage of my audience here, once we say their name, goes, who? Or I don't know that much about that guy. So let's jump right in. Uh, linebacker is a position, of course, that the Packers could look to add to. Uh, they probably, based on their history, haven't done that early in the era of Ted Thompson and now Brian Gutekunst. Remains to be seen what they'll do. Obviously, the board changes things, how everything goes. Maybe the Packers pick a running ba- or a linebacker early, excuse me, but I wouldn't bet on it necessarily. So one guy 
He's a Big Ten guy, so most of you might be familiar with him, but he played at Purdue, and that's a school that hasn't been all that relevant since Drew Brees, maybe somebody after that, I don't know, as far as their football program. But, Russ, you were telling me about Marcus Bailey before the draft. So give our people, what are they looking for? If they hear the name Marcus Bailey in the fourth, fifth round, what are we looking at? Yeah, you're, you're seeing a six foot, 235-pound uh, senior linebacker that felt like he played at Purdue for seven or eight years because all he did was battle through injuries. I mean, he's been through t- two torn ACLs, a hip surgery, um, and his senior season this past year ended up after two games. It, it ended at, with a, a torn ACL um, on his other knee. So the first one was in his left knee. This one was in his right knee. Uh, but he's battled back. I talked to him actually two weeks ago on my podcast, and um, if it wasn't for these injuries, I think he'd be a top 50 pick. We'd be talking about him within the first, you know, two rounds, two and a half rounds. And I, I, I think he's a great, just high football IQ, high character guy. He's a versatile chess piece for the Boilermakers. He played in a variety of spots, um, inside, outside backer spots. He played as the, as um, in the slot even. He had, you know, mid-hook res- uh, responsibilities as a defender. So I love his ability um, all over this defense. I-, I like how quickly he diagnoses um, and he pursues the football with a high motor. So um, he- he's going to bring some versatility. I think if you get into that fourth, fifth, maybe even sixth round range, and if he's there, I mean, he's the 125th ranked player on my recent uh, big board and 10th overall at the position for linebacker. So if you can get him in that fifth round range, I think you're getting uh, a high caliber player as far as character and and just football IQ. And I think if, you know, the longevity of the career might not necessarily be there, but you're getting a guy that can contribute, not necessarily right away, but within some portion of year one and especially into year two, I think you can get a, a very good value. And that seems to be about the sweet spot where the Packers have typically targeted off-ball linebackers. Desmond Bishop was a fifth-round pick, if memory serves. Nate Palmer, the legend of Nate Palmer. Uh, Blake Martinez was a fourth-round pick. So that's kind of where I think you're looking. Maybe a little bit earlier, but like I said, I can't really see the Packers doing something early on that. Owen, before we move on to your first guy, do you have any insight on Bailey and potentially what he could bring to the Packers' defense? I think if he's healthy, he's a good athlete. He's, he, um, and I remember seeing him live in 2018 against Ohio State. It was all over the place. Gave the Badgers a bunch of problems in 2017 as well. Um, in 2018, I think he got hurt prior to when they played Wisconsin later in the year. But good versatile player. I remember younger earlier in his career, played some overhang, out-of-the-box, apex defender stuff. Um, so, I mean, like he's, he has experience in space. Uh, and as well as they like, just kind of fly around. To me, at least, and maybe this was recency bias at the time, he always kind of reminded me of how Jack Sitchie played, just flying all over the place and making plays. So I think if he's healthy, he's a, a big-time value to be had in day three. Yeah, that'll be something interesting to watch and monitor because, like I said, that's kind of the sweet spot for where the Packers have started looking for linebackers. Owen, oh, you were telling me before there's a couple of Taylors, but tell me about the first one that we talked about. Yeah, so uh, the first one is Alex Taylor, who's an offensive tackle from South Carolina State. He was at the Senior Bowl. Um, Senior Bowl always seems to get one or two guys from the FCS, the HBCUs, uh, the historically black colleges. And um, Taylor's a guy who hasn't been playing football for a real long time, uh, but you can see what the appeal is. He checked in at Mobile at six, eight and a half, and 317 pounds, I believe. Um, so he's just a huge mountain of a human being and has a basketball background. And you can kind of see it in how his body's built. He's kind of thin-legged, really thin ankles. Uh, and just really all arms and legs. Obviously, when you're almost six foot nine, 
it's easier to distribute weight um, elsewhere. So, I mean, he's, he's not a super big, bulky dude, but he's a huge human being with some pretty rare uh, movement skills for people that tall. A lot of times when you get to be an offensive lineman that big, some guys like Cornelius Lucas throughout the league or some of the bigger guys seem to be a bit more heavy-footed. Taylor's a guy who's <clears throat> a pretty decent athlete. You can kind of see that basketball background. And uh, someone that did not probably get the most in-depth coaching at South Carolina State, and I don't say that as an indictment to them, but um, you know, if you've got someone at that level with those type of tools, you get them on the field, and you kind of deal with it that way rather than letting him sit and really learn the position. So he's a guy that I think is probably a bit more of a project. I think he's probably somewhere in that early to mid-day three range. And then you probably try to stash him on your practice squad for a year, let him continue to get stronger in an NFL weight room and, and continue to get NFL coaching. He might be someone down the line, could either be a swing tackle or maybe even develop into a starter um, You know, if his, his scheme fits right. But to me, he's someone that's, that's got a lot of upside and a lot of uh, intrigue and someone that offensive line coaches around the league would want to work with just given some of his, uh, his natural tools that he can't teach. And that's something that when I've talked about my my theory on the offensive linemen, it's they're taking one that they hope can be a long-term starter, whether that's at one of their first three picks, something like that, a mid-round guy that can be a swing interior type, and then a shot on a late-round guy, which sounds like <clears throat> this is the kind of guy that that could be. Russ, one of my favorites that you listed, uh, the Packers are in the quarterback market, maybe not necessarily for a starter, and I don't think they're looking for the heir apparent to Aaron Rodgers, but potentially somebody to compete for the backup position. And that's a, a hot button issue. It seems like every offseason, the Packers talk about their lack of depth at quarterback or the Packers fans. I should say, talk about their lack of depth at quarterback, Tim Boyle. Sorry, Andy, uh, probably not a long-term answer in terms of a backup position. Certainly not somebody that you want to be starting multiple games either. So Tell me, he played for the legend. He played for Mike Leach, one of my favorite coaches in the history of the world, mostly because he's hilarious. Anthony Gordon, uh, is this somebody, tell me about him and what the Packers could potentially see in him as a a backup option. Yeah, the moment I started watching Anthony Gordon, I kind of fell in love with just the overall mechanics and the ability that he has. I, I think his lower body, it certainly needs a little bit of work. He's pretty stiff in the hips and sometimes his his feet can become cement blocks, but overall, I mean, he's got a natural, quick, compact release. It's just he fires the ball out of his hand quickly. Um, he can work through progressions. Um, at times, he can get stuck through those initial reads, and that ultimately leads to some turnovers. I mean, he did have 16 interceptions this past year, but he can throw the deep ball. I think he's more comfortable in the short and intermediate areas of the field, and at 6'2", 205, um, it kind of shows with the, the 71% completion percentage that he had uh, for this past year, but you know, I think a, a guy that you take on day three of the draft would be Anthony Gordon. Um, I don't think he's in the same category as certain guys like Jordan Love or, or Jalen Hurts or anything like that. But I would be more than comfortable in that fourth, fifth round range to take a guy like Anthony Gordon again, just for some of the reasons that I, I listed. And he can come in, he can compete for the backup spot, and maybe down the road if the development's right and it's it's time. I mean, let's say Rodgers hangs it up you have this guy waiting in the wings, maybe it works out for him. He's been waiting in the wings before. He's a former Juco transfer. He played behind Gardner Minshew. So, I mean, he's, he's familiar with kind of sitting, waiting, and learning. And I think in Green Bay, that would be a pretty ideal fit for him uh, with Matt LaFleur. And at minimum, he could be a higher-level backup. Uh, yep. and, and honestly, somebody that I think, again, the backup quarterback's job 
in my eyes, is to make the preseason fun or at least semi-watchable. So bomb the ball all over the field. I don't care to watch one check down after another with uh, some of these guys that they've brought in, the the B.J. Coleman's and Vince Young's of the world, with all due respect to the great Vince Young. Uh, Owen, a Wisconsin guy, a lot of attention to Quintez Cephas, and deservedly so. He'll be an early to mid-day three selection, more likely than not. Um, but there's another guy that you wrote about this week, and you told me that this guy is such a sleeper that you even forgot about him initially. So who are we talking about? Yeah, I feel bad about it. He started for three years. Uh, A.J. Taylor is the wide receiver from Wisconsin. Uh, he's about 5'11 and 200 pounds. He was a four-star running back coming out of the Kansas City area in high school. And the Badgers immediately moved him to the slot receiver. And as a freshman, got on the field a little bit, some jet sweeps, um, screens, return game. Uh, as a sophomore started, uh, and obviously the, the, the 2017 year was a big year for Wisconsin, had a big three-touchdown game in the Orange Bowl in their win over Miami. And uh, A.J. Taylor's a guy to me, so it's been intriguing. I think he's probably somewhere in that 4-5 range. He's not a burner, but he's definitely not slow. Uh, but to me, he's always been um, an intriguing type, right? Like he's a running back, basically, that plays receiver. And to me, and the, the, the thing that kind of going back through his career and watching a little bit uh, this week, I'm going to say this. This is probably like a homeless man's Debo Samuel. And I say that like a stylistic perspective certainly not in the uh the dynamic form of samuel but someone that you try to get the ball on their hands in end end rounds or quick screens and he's a 205 pound kid that is tough to bring down uh you saw he had a big catch against nebraska on a slant uh guy tried to knock him over the shoulder was able to fight through that contact remain balanced and get back headed downfield make another guy miss and then beat him to the house He's a guy, he tore his Achilles the last week of the season against Minnesota. Um, I've seen on Instagram, he is up and moving around. He's out of his out of his boot, doing some jump roping, uh, lunges, light exercises. So I don't think that uh, he wouldn't be ready for a rookie camp if we even have them, God forbid. And I don't think he might not even be ready for training camp. But I think he's a guy that some team might want to keep around, sign him and then put him on the pub list or even someone as like a futures or reserves contract moving forward. But I definitely think he's an NFL-level talent athletically. Uh, he's still somewhat raw at the receiver position. Obviously, he's only played there for for four years. Um, and I'm not going to – Wisconsin isn't necessarily known as a wide receiver development factory by any means. Um, but he's someone to me that I think is – with the ball in his hand, he's got return experience uh, in the way the NFL is trending, and especially someone like – uh, Matt LaFleur, who runs an offense somewhat similar to Kyle Shanahan's, they like to run those crossing routes with these guys, get him the ball in space and make him guy, make him make the defense tackle him in space, whether they make him miss or they run into, you know, be physical after the catch. I think Taylor's a guy, uh, if you really want to, uh, like I said, really want to dive deep into these sleepers and, and truthfully, um, you know, if he didn't go to Wisconsin, I don't think many people would uh, even have him on their radar, but uh, he's a guy to me, he'll be undrafted 100%, but he's a guy that I think is worth a shot. Um, and someone the Packers might look at as a, a pup list guy and just kind of stash him away. But I do think he's got a spot on an NFL field somewhere for somebody. That'll definitely be a story to watch as it progresses. Like you said, I don't think that you'll hear his name called on draft day. Achilles injuries make things, they make first round picks, third round picks. He was probably a day three pick anyways 
that tends to lead them to be undrafted free agents. So that's something that could be interesting as it goes forward. Staying with the receivers role here, Central Florida, home of Owen's favorite, well, former favorite head coach, and that is Scott Frost, uh, former home, I should say, of Scott Frost. And Russ, you were telling me about one of their receivers uh, that they have that might be a potential day three steal. Yeah, that's Gabriel Davis. Um, very productive this past year at 6'2", 216, uh, 72 receptions this past year with 12 touchdowns. I, I mean, this is a guy that's got some very good uh, vertical leaping ability where he can high point the football pretty well, pretty clean. He can climb the ladder. Um, he works his hands pretty consistently to create separation downfield, and, and the tracking ability is very impressive um, for, for a guy like him. Um, I, I think he's just kind of fallen under the radar because there's so many receivers, and you see guys like, Michael Pittman blow up the combine. Chase Claypool, you can call him a tight end receiver, whatever you want to call him, but he blew up the combine. Um, and, you know, you obviously have the big three. You've got Brandon Ayuk, you've got Jalen Rieger, T. Higgins. I mean, there's so many names at wide receiver. He kind of just gets forgotten about. But when you get into day three, I think you get my 124th ranked player on my board, and you can get a low end starter um, at best, but you're going to get, I think, a key contributor from a depth perspective. And, and for, the Packers, I mean, I don't know exactly how they're going to value the wide receivers in this draft. I don't think anybody really does. But if they don't take one in the first round or they don't take one in the second round, maybe they're more interested in that fourth, fifth round range. And if they are, I think Davis is the guy that, that makes a lot of sense for them uh, just from a kind of a, a position standpoint of where they could play him. They could play him in the slot if they needed to. They can play him on the outside. Um, and I think with his ability, um, just overall, he would be a very good asset to Aaron Rodgers right now. Something to monitor, uh, something that could be an interesting storyline again. Uh, and like you mentioned, maybe if the Packers don't find a receiver they want early, they could do something similar that they did a couple years ago where they took Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Equinemius St. Brown, and Jamon Moore all on the third day of the draft. Something tells me that that wouldn't please the fan base very much, but there's a lot of things that don't necessarily please the fan base that have worked out well for the Packers. Jordy Nelson, Aaron Rodgers, Nick Collins. Those are just some guys who come to mind from previous years. Uh, Owen. Before we – I don't mean to cut off here. I think there's a couple things, too, for um, for Davis. I think, one, they were playing with a backup quarterback, essentially. Mackenzie Milton is their guy. He'll be back this upcoming year. He was there in 2018, had big numbers uh, under Josh Heupel after Scott Frost had went to Nebraska. And so I believe they had uh, Dylan Gabriel, I believe, was the – um, yeah, the passer, but he he was not. I mean, they they've took a step back at the at the quarterback position, losing Mackenzie Milton, and Davis was still able to put up those numbers. So I think that's something to keep in mind. Yeah, that's something that it's kind of one of those things. Like, how do you know how good this guy is, or if he's not a byproduct? Something like the question surrounding Devontae Adams for a little while was, is he only good because of Aaron Rodgers? And then when Rodgers went down, and he still played really well with Hundley, that's something that kind of told the rest of the world how good this guy really is. Uh, Owen, we were switching gears to you anyways, and we're talking about a guy who, his name's Lamar Jackson. Uh, He's not to be confused with the NFL MVP from this past season and Madden cover athlete, but a good player in his own right, but he plays on the defensive side of the ball. So I promise you it will be a storyline at some point when they play against each other. Can Lamar Jackson intercept Lamar Jackson? But tell me about this Lamar Jackson. Yeah, so first of all, he played for the the, uh, best football coach that's ever only had one winning season in his coaching career. And that's Scott Frost. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Lamar Jackson's he's a big, he's a big corner. He was down at the senior bowl. He's 
all of 6'2", 210 pounds. He's not the fastest guy. I mean, he can run, but he's not. He's not a burner. Um, I mean, he's he's there to be a big dude and press at the line of scrimmage, and that's the, something the Packers have shown uh, a tendency to want. Obviously, they I believe the only corner they took last year was Kadar Holloman late in day three, but I think he's a guy to me that – Again, NFL's defensive backs coaches are looking at it and say, give him to me, let let me fix him. And I think there's someone there where he's probably in that fourth or fifth round range, I think, that Lamar Jackson will go. But he's a big dude. There's a lot to work with there. Um, and it's someone that I think fits the mold of what Green Bay's looked for at corner. Uh, a couple guys like him and like Michael Ojemudia were some of the better corners of a very unimpressive cl- uh, core down in, down in Mobile that Russ and I saw down there. But I think he's a guy that he'll continue to get chances. He's definitely not like a fourth or fifth round player, but he's a great big kid at corner uh, who can run a little bit. And um, teams are going to want to give him a chance to, to bump and run on the outside. So I think he's someone that Green Bay could look at early day three, uh, early to mid day three. They've got sixth round six, or excuse me, three sixth round picks. Um, you know, depending on how NFL teams see him, I, that wouldn't surprise me at all if they're able to scrap him up somewhere there. He just reeks of a Seattle Seahawk with the way that you just described him. I can totally see that right now as somebody that they draft on that day. And guys, I'm going to do this for the last one here. We have Tremaine Akram, and forgive me, Owen, if I mispronounced his name, but he's an offensive tackle. He is likely, because he's teeny tiny, to play center, uh, which I know is something near and dear to your heart. So a Clemson player. So people are going to like that high pedigree and the high level of competition that he played in. But uh, how can he transition from playing on the edge to playing on the interior like that? Yeah, so Ankrum is a guy that is like the prototypical um, someone that the Packers are going to like. He tested fairly well at the combine, but he's a six foot two tackle, uh, which I believe the only one to do that in the NFL is Chris Hubbard in the last few years. It's it's not a not a uh, sustainable stream of guys there, I think, and he's someone that the Packers. I think they've shown the ability. They've wanted tackle guy or tackle experience. They can draft him, uh, put him in at um, at center or even guard. Uh, but he's a guy that he's a decent enough athlete in the Packers scheme. Uh, with as much as they like to run wide zone, outside zone, get out there and run that. Uh, let him use his feet. You don't need to be a great big mauling guard to succeed in that scheme. He's got a ton of experience. Um, I think the only reason he's really getting hurt is because he's six foot two. Um, he was down at the senior bowl. I can't remember, to be honest, I believe he got dinged the first day. So he didn't get a ton of reps, but, um, is a guy that, like I said, has the experience, has the pedigree, uh, and someone that, uh, given the Packers type, I know we talked about John Runny and junior a couple weeks ago. I think Ankrum's probably someone in that similar mold that they might like, uh, to take late and then bump him inside. So there's some of our sleepers guys. There's names you can look for. On day three of the draft, maybe some undrafted free agents. And there's always a surprise. Uh, of course, we'll say some of this, and somebody here will go in the second round. Uh, that would just be our luck. But it seems likely that these guys would be sleepers. Uh, go ahead and check out, when you guys see this, uh, check out Russ's Twitter. And, Russ, give me real quick, what's your handle? At Russ NFL Draft. So check out at Russ NFL Draft. He has Owen under a filter. And, Owen, you grow a really good mustache. So that's, that's a better mustache than I can grow, I'll tell you that. Well, that's what your hair looked like in middle school, though, if you want to know. Wow. Okay. So Is that there's what your hair looked like in middle school? Yeah, a little less than that, but not far off. <laughs> so there we go. We, we have some goals for moving forward. Guys, by the time we talk next week, the draft will have taken place. Uh, and I think it would be 
a disservice to our listeners if we didn't do it. So Russ, I'll let you first. You are the general manager of the Detroit Lions. That is your team. I promise you, you can't be worse than Matt Millen. Uh, I'm sorry uh, that I gave you that job, but I, like I said, you cannot be worse than Matt Millen. Uh, maybe not even Bob Quinn. I don't know how great of a job he's done necessarily either, but there you go. So you are on the clock at pick number three. Who are you selecting for the Lions? Well, I'm trying to trade down. That's what I'm trying to do. But they're idiots, and they're not going to get one done. So they're going to stay at three more than likely, in my opinion. And I think what they're going to do is I ultimately think they're going to end up taking Derek Brown, um, which I'm okay with. But it's the Lions, so we'll see. But I personally, uh, if it was me, I'd be taking Jeff Okuda. They don't have a long-term answer at uh, quarter. A, you know, Desmond Trufant is... Two-year deal, $14 million of that's guaranteed. So, I mean, he's not a long-term solution. Justin Coleman's a primary slot guy. You just don't have a long-term guy. You got rid of Slay. So, Okuda, top corner in the draft, um, I think makes a lot of sense. But if they move out of three and go to five, I, I could even see where Okuda, you know, may, I don't know, maybe the Falcons get up there into four and, and take Okuda, and then they're forced to take Derek Brown. But my hunch is telling me it's going to be Derek Brown. But I could be wrong. hope I'm wrong. I mean, I, I like Derek Brown. Don't get me wrong. But I, I just... I want the corner because they haven't done it since 1998. And that was, if mem- I don't remember if memory serves. So. Are you the quarters? Is that it? It was Terry Fair. Terry yeah. Fair. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He became a decent kick returner, if I remember correctly. I don't know if he ever did all that much as a corner. but uh, So a good little history lesson there for that. And that's an example, guys, of of a surprise because the Derek Brown to Detroit thing is some buzz that's grown in the last couple of days. And a lot of people have assumed this draft begins at three where Joe Burrow is going one, Chase Young is going two, and a lot of people have penciled in Jeff Okuda, the cornerback at Ohio State, to go number three. So it'll be interesting to see if that's what they do. If they go Derek Brown, that's somebody who I think my brother – Go ahead, Russ. I'm sorry. It's not like it's a bad thing if they go Derek Brown. I mean, he's my fourth-ranked player. He's 6'5", 328, but I just – the the need they they went out and they signed Danny Shelton they've done some things on the interior they need to go out and get a corner in my personal opinion it just makes the most sense but again a sensible organization just that's not them so we'll see and like you said it would make sense Matt Patricia comes from school of Belichick and they have corners coming out of their ears it seems like every year so or secondary players maybe not specifically corners so I tend to think that makes sense as well uh, the issue that you might run into now, though, is the Lions held some leverage with the Tua Tagovailoa stuff if somebody wanted to move up and get him. But it sounds like now that Tua could be in line for a fall on draft day. So we'll see if it's Aaron Rodgers-esque. Uh, and with the luck of this league, he'll end up with uh, the Patriots and Bill Belichick will win 25 more Super Bowls with Tua at the helm. So guys, obviously I gave Russ the floor there as a Lions fan, mostly so you guys can probably poke fun at him a little bit. And he's a self-depreciating Lions fan, which I think most of them are. Uh, at least I haven't met one that's like, oh yeah, I'm a proud Lions fan. I don't think I've met a whole lot of those, but hey, I mean, maybe there are. If you're out there, feel free to let us know. But the other thing obviously is pick 30 and the Packers will be on the clock uh, at pick 30, assuming they don't move up, move down. Like I've said before, um, we're not predicting trades on these sorts of things just because we don't know. And one trade can ruin everything. So for example, if I say they trade up for Justin Jefferson, well, if somebody else gets that idea earlier, 
then that kind of makes it null and void. So, Owen, let's start. I know this is hard without really knowing who's on the board, but of somebody that you think is somewhat realistic. So Chase Young's not going to be available. Um, Tristan Wirfs, unfortunately, is not going to be available. But who is the pick at 30 on Thursday night? Grant Delpit. Going to speak into existence. Grant Delpit. Okay. That would be... Speak into existence. I don't need to reach for an offensive tackle. I don't need to reach for a wide receiver that's probably not a ton better than someone you can get at 62. Take an impact defensive player. Help your boy Mike Patton out. And uh, maybe you'll stop losing hair that way if you start to give him some talent and not B.J. Goodson at linebacker or Ibrahim Campbell in Tyler Lancaster and Chandon Sullivan starting in the NFC Championship game. That's all I'm done. That's what I got. So, Owen, do you know, um, are, do the Packers play extra D-backs because of preference or because of um, personnel? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know. Inside joke between <laughs> us there. Okay, so, Russ, I'm going to put you on the clock. You could sabotage this, but I ask you not to. Uh, so you could pick, like, a punter or something like that. But, again, I ask you not to do that. If you were Brian Gutekunst and pick 30 is on the board, who are you taking? I'm going to go Brandon Ayuk, wide receiver, Arizona State. I, I know, uh, I mean, I agree with, with Big O here on this. I mean, you can go out and get a receiver uh, later in this draft. But at the same time, I, I think Brandon Ayuk is a, a perfect fit uh, for this team. Uh, just the explosiveness that he brings after the catch. Um, and at six foot two oh five, I mean, he had a very productive year with a, a freshman quarterback this past year. Um, you know, he had a drop rate of 6.8% for the, the season, which was the same as C.D. Lamb. So, you know, he's pretty sure-handed. He can make defenders miss in the short areas. I think he brings a little bit to this offense that they've been missing since the days of Randall Cobb and Jordan Nelson. So I like the thought of Ayuk there at 30. I don't think it's much of a reach, but maybe if they were to even move back, let's say, and, and gain a, an additional day-two pick somewhere and still are able to him, I think that's that's a pretty home-run selection. So uh, I like the thought of him, I, I think, personally, just for the, this offense. Yeah, I think he fits well, too, as a guy who yards after catch. Um, that's something that, like you said, they've been missing for, for quite some time. I'm going to go with Jalen Rager, uh, and I think that that's something that's been – I wasn't sure if they would – I thought they would do it, and then I wasn't sure if they would do it. And then you hear some of this stuff about how Funches and Jay Sternberger and guys like that are going to play in the middle of the field, meaning they need some guys to attack the deep portions of the field. He can do some of the gadget stuff that LaFleur wants to do, and he's a legitimate deep threat that the Packers haven't had since the days of prime Jordy Nelson. So I'm going to go with Jalen Rager uh, as a guess at 30. So I think you can safely eliminate all three of those guys from selection. If my luck serves guys, we got a little bit more time. So I'm going to go here. We mentioned there's always some surprises on draft day. So who's somebody what's a, what's a bold prediction on something that you think is like the first pick where everybody goes, Whoa. And Russ, I'll start with you. Two slides into the teens and the saints trade up and get them. Oh, that okay. I uh, actually, that is a woe, and that would be interesting. Okay, that was good, and he had that ready. It was almost like we did some homework on that or something. So, Owen, do you have anything like that? Uh, the Browns aren't able to trade back from 10 and take Ezra Cleveland. Please, God. Please, God. Watch Holy. it happen. Holy hell. It's the Well, Russ, you did mention incompetent organizations earlier, and, well, Cleveland certainly fits that bill. I mean, I could see them moving back, and I mean, man, that's, I don't know. I, in all seriousness, though, I, I think the one that I would have is certainly if, like, the Chargers are sitting there at six and they don't want to go quarterback, they go Isaiah Simmons. I, I think that would be 
something that would surprise quite a few people because they've been often rumored to go quarterback and offensive tackle. But I love the thought of Simmons in that defense, and I have a receipt to prove that on Twitter. So uh, just, you know, type in Russ NFL Draft, Simmons and Chargers, and you'll find it. Um, but, no, I mean, wow, Cleveland going with Cleveland. That's a that's a, that's a freaking reach, man. Holy. <laughs> I... Miller just went 11 a couple years ago. Um, but to your point on Isaiah Simmons, I think that is uh, – I think there's some legitimacy there. A couple years ago, they made a playoff run. Uh, they lost to – or no, they beat the Ravens in the wild card round when Lamar Jackson was playing there, and a lot of that was six and seven defensive backs. And Isaiah Simmons is just as much a safety as he is a linebacker to me, um, and that's someone that – I think he's a similar. He's a bigger Derwin James is maybe a way to put that. And he's, and he's another chess piece for them to use there in San Diego um, or Los Angeles or whatever the hell they are. Um, so I mean, I think that um, that's another a thing. They let Jatavis Brown go as well. I think that's another somewhat similar safety linebacker, dime linebacker, whatever you want to call that body type. Um, so obviously Simmons would be a huge upgrade that way. But I think that's someone that that's not out of the realm. Um, they've they've done stuff like that before, and I don't think that's that's real crazy at all. Um, at least from a fit standpoint, I don't think a lot of people expect it to happen, but it makes sense the more you think about it. And honestly, because I don't think the Giants are going to. I mean, I think the Giants are going to take offense tackle. That's that's ultimately what I think. And I don't know what the hell Miami's going to do, but I don't think they're going to take Simmons. So I think he's going to fall right in the lap of the Chargers. So. Yeah, Miami seems to be quarterback or offensive tackle if they take Herbert or if they take the tackle that the Giants don't. Assuming they oh, do. How do you feel? How do you feel about Andrew Thomas going to the Dolphins? If, if that was the thing that's being rumored, right? Dude, now. I saw someone talk about today that they were going to trade up to three to take Andrew Thomas, and they said if they that, do that, they need to blow it back up and restart again. <laughs> there's some new people in there. Like, there's no reason to take. Like, if you if they don't want to take a quarterback at five. I mean, I get that or whatever, but like, you don't need to trade up to take Andrew Thomas. And I, even if I, I'm very, I try not to be this way because there were a lot of people that had the, the thought. I remember a couple of years ago with the Browns when they had one and four, and they're like, well, take Saquon and whatever quarterback falls to you at four. And I'm like, well, that's garbage. Like, that's, that means you don't like one if you're okay to not take whichever one isn't there. And I, I kind of feel the same way about, in general, picks like that. But like, I'm not convinced that Andrew Thomas is the is better than any of the other three top four guys, um, at least from a potential or a, a down the line big picture standpoint. So I like to have to trade up to take him rather than take Becton or Wills or, or worse. That would that would be bonkers to me. I mean, if they prefer him over some of those guys, that's fine. But they don't need to trade up to three to do that. Um, so I mean, that was. That was something I saw earlier and said mostly tongue-in-cheek, but also not quite like if they trade up from five and have to give up all that capital they've accrued uh, to take a guy that they should be able to take at five, um, that, that would be pretty worrisome to me. Put that on Owen's gravestone. Mostly tongue-in-cheek, but not quite uh, with some of those I things. Said, I, I, I saw, I remember we saw Russ. We weren't sitting together at the uh, together at the restaurant, but we saw them there and uh, – our buddy Philip Pruce uh, used to be on Optimum Scouting, posted a, the RAS pictures next to each other, Jonathan Taylor and Adrian Peterson. And we were sitting in that restaurant uh, a couple tables away from Russ, and I had made the comment, like, well, Adrian, Pater- Adrian Peterson had fumbling issues in college too, mostly tongue-in-cheek, but it's kind of working out that way. So I don't know. Unfortunately, Jonathan Taylor isn't going to go seventh overall, but um, 
unfortunately, if you want him to play in Green Bay, he's not going to go seventh overall. So that's a positive. So if, I, if I'm – The Dolphins take him at five and trade up to three to take Andy Thomas. That, oh, man, okay. Well, I can tell you what they need to do is just figure out a way to swindle Gettleman into taking the tackle that they don't want and then just take Tristan Wirfs there at five, who's the best tackle in this class in my estimation anyways, and all is well. Like, I, I agree, you don't need to – move up to three with Detroit. Although I know Russ is sitting back there going now he's rooting for that. So, um, yeah, I'll be interested. I'll say, so we got to, this started with bold predictions. Uh, Mine is, and I don't know how bold this is because Russ, you talked about it too. I'll say Henry Ruggs is the first receiver off the board. That's not that bold, but I'll say the fourth receiver off the board. So it'll go Ruggs and then some combination of Lamb or Judy. And I think the fourth receiver off the board is going to be Denzel Mims. That just seems to make sense to me. It's something I've thought for quite some time. Uh, teams value boundary receivers. And I also wouldn't be surprised. I guess I'm hedging my bet a little bit here. If the fourth receiver was Jalen Rager players like that, that play on the boundary and speed receivers tend to get quote unquote overdrafted all the time. Uh, so that will be my bold prediction. Russ so far, I think I like yours the best. And again, a little bit more time left here. So last year, I think consensus. So like the woe pick last year, was the Raiders taking Cleveland Farrell at four. You could probably argue the Packers taking Rashawn Gary at 12 as well. But the, oh my God, they blew it pick was the Giants taking Daniel Jones at six. And I haven't found anybody that said that was a great idea other than Dave Gettleman. So Russ, what do you think this year is the first, oh my God, they blew it pick. And who is that? Man. Um, the Dolphins moving up. To <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I like Andrew Thomas. Don't get me wrong. He's my top offensive tackle. But, I mean, all my offensive tackles are literally like a half a point different. So, there's not much separating them. Um, man, I got I to gotta really think about this one. Dude, I really think there is some merit to one of these offensive tackles going way too early. Like Austin Jackson. Oh, yeah. Ezra Cleveland going 10 to Cleveland. Josh Jones 14 to Tampa. Like I, something like that would to me if, if they panic because say Ruggs goes at twelve and the four top offensive tackles are gone, I don't know where Tampa would go from there. I mean if I mean maybe a, a different receiver or, or whatever, but I know they really are worried about right tackle. And if the top four dudes are, are gone, they might. I mean one of those guys, Austin Jackson at fourteen or something, I, I wouldn't put that out of the picture at all. Um, you know, especially we've seen Tampa Bay has got some, I mean, they, they took Jason Light, took Donovan Smith in the second round. I mean, he's not afraid to take upside guys fairly highly. You know, they drafted Donovan Smith to protect Jameis Winston, right? So, I mean, like that's, wouldn't surprise me if they take a shot at somebody to tackle. Yeah. And something that I think happens every year. And we talked about this a little bit earlier, Owen, is that we do it all the time. We say like, oh, this position, that position, like a running back, wide receiver, tight end is deep, like that kind of stuff. And we see it every year. Um, Offensive tackles, pass rushers, quarterbacks, and cornerbacks always get pushed up the board. And then we act surprised when it happens. It's like, oh, my God, I can't believe Cleveland Farrell went four overall, for example. But stuff like that happens all the time. So that would be interesting. Russ, you wanted to chime in. Um, I'm piecing out. It's been been real. I got to jump on the radio, so – so there you go. Russ, he actually uh, transitioned into our exit perfectly. So smash the follow button. He's at Russ NFL Draft. Listen to him, Sirius XM Radio, Channel 82 on Thursday night. Russ, we look forward to seeing you again. Thanks for coming on, and we'll be talking with you next week. Owen, we can talk with you uh, at Reese Draft, and you have a new little venture that we're looking into. Tell me about it. 
Yeah, so the first episode dropped today, uh, the Voice of Reason podcast. Uh, it's something that I've thought about doing for quite a while. Um, time constraints and other responsibilities and obligations that kind of kept that from happening, but I figured during this quarantine, um, I waited about a month before I decided that I didn't really have any other excuse not to do it. Um, and with the draft obviously coming up is just a, uh, another outlet for me, another uh, way to get these takes off uh, in a less controversial manner than they would be on Twitter, uh, where they could negatively reflect my employer. So um, just a uh, thing, you check it out. It's at V-O Reason, R-I-E-S-E-N pod. Um, I can't believe someone had Voice of Reason as their ad on Twitter, but here we are. It's 2020. Uh, so uh, you can check that out. Um, have the link in my page at Reese Draft, and it's uh, still very much in its infancy, but we'll see where it goes. Okay, so there we have that. We will have you guys look through that, and we'll promote that as much as we can every week. You can follow me. I'm at Jacob Westendorf. Uh, we'll all kind of be helping a little bit at Packer Report for draft night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. That's where you're going to want to find your draft analysis all weekend long. And quite frankly, with some of the content we're talking about putting out, I really don't think that there's anywhere that's going to do as much from a Packers standpoint quite like we are. So I think that you're going to want to check that out. Check me out. Like I said on Twitter, you can follow Russ, listen to him. And we'll be back next week talking about day two when the Packers take Jonathan Taylor and Donovan Peoples-Jones. There's two names I just threw out for you guys. Everybody be pissed off about it later. So thank you guys for listening. Enjoy the draft and go Pack Go.